This episode of The Labor of Love is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code REALSIMPLE at checkout to get 10% off. Welcome to The Labor of Love, a podcast about marriage, family, and making peace with the people we live with. I'm Lori Leibovich, editor of RealSimple.com. This week's Time Magazine cover looks at the alarming effects porn is having on the first generation of men who grew up with unlimited access to it. The story uncovers an epidemic among some young men who, because they have been conditioned to be aroused only by porn, in real life are finding it hard to perform with actual partners. Here today to discuss how porn may be damaging young men's sexual responses, whether there's science behind porn-induced erectile dysfunction, and how as a culture we should address the ubiquity of pornography, is Belinda Luscombe, an editor-at-large of Time Magazine and the author of the story, and Gabe Deem, the 28-year-old founder of Reboot Nation, a forum and online channel that offers support for young people who believe they're addicted to pornography. Belinda, hi. Hi. Good to be here. Hey, Gabe. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'd like to start with Belinda and just ask you what led you to this story and and what was the reporting process like? I think what led me to the story was just that I probably, like many people, have noticed how much porn there is on the internet and sort of wondering, curious about whether that has changed anything. And then, of course, I began to, to to watch what people were saying. And I did notice this overwhelming number of young men who seemed to be reporting that they were having problems with real life sex because they'd watched a lot of porn. It, it was very curious to me. So I wanted to investigate that. Gabe, can you tell the listeners a little bit about your story and, and maybe start with when the first time you stumbled upon porn was? So I first was exposed to pornographic material when I was eight. I found like a Playboy or Hustler magazine. Um, and I actually knew what masturbation was. So I actually started masturbating to pictures around the age of eight and nine. And then uh, my family got uh, cable TV when I was 10. I would stay up late at night watching softcore porn. But things really changed when I was 12 and my family got high-speed internet porn. And that's when I would ride my bike home from school really fast and I had a couple hours before my parents got home where I would watch internet porn. And this continued all through my adolescence. But one thing about me is I was sexually active when I was 14. And that continued all through high school and into college. And over the years, my drive increased for porn and pixels on a screen. And my drive for my real-life partners decreased, ultimately leading to the age of 23, when I could only get aroused watching hardcore porn compilations on my computer. And I felt nothing when with a real partner, even a partner I found extremely attractive. I was completely dependent on porn to function. So let's back up a little bit. So you're eight years old when you first see explicit images, and then by 12, you're watching porn online. Was there any kind of restrictions that were put on your access to the computer, or were you, was it sort of a free-for-all? Um, it was pretty much a free-for-all. My, uh, my parents gave me a few talks here and there, but they didn't you know go too in-depth about anything, and they also... You know, no fault on them. They were probably completely unaware of how easily accessible it was. 
and they, there were no filters or anything like that on the computers. So all I had to do was talk to my buddies at school. We would pass notes around with websites where we could watch as much porn as we wanted to watch and also give each other tips on how we could hide it and clear our history and delete our cookies. So we were, we were very tech savvy, knew what we were doing. And so, you know, most parents, even if they do know how to uh, keep their kids from seeing it, the kids will know how to get around the blocks. And that's why I think education is the most important thing. Do you remember when you were younger and watching pornography, do you remember what your understanding of what was happening was? I think that sometimes, you know, on the Internet, when you can stumble upon almost anything, I imagine that it was kind of maybe difficult to understand what you were looking at sometimes. Some of my first exposure to porn, uh, speaking around the age of 12 when I was watching hardcore videos, was actually... uh, actual rape scenes, I believe, and simulated rape scenes. And seeing that as a 12-year-old really, you know, confused me and freaked me out. But I did understand what was going on and everything, um, which, you know, understanding that someone's being coerced, abused, or manipulated to do something, that, you know, increased my anxiety and really gave me a shock factor, which we now know, like research shows, that that can actually increase excitement. And so there I was, a little 12-year-old, watching all this stuff and wiring my arousal to that. And my understanding was definitely clear. I knew what was going on, but I kept on watching. Belinda, Gabe's talking about really a cultural kind of standard here, at least in the community he was in, whereby not only were boys accessing porn at a very young age, but they were talking about it and sharing, you know, notes and, and how to kind of get around being caught and what channels to go to. I mean, does that description sound familiar to you from the people you spoke to for this article? Was it widespread as as he ha- as it was for him? The thing that all the young men I spoke to had in common and I spoke to many who I didn't quote in the article was that they their family were sort of early adapters of computer tech and that sometimes their families worked in the in the software business or in computer business, and they were all encouraged to use computers. And their parents were, again, as Gabe says, unaware probably of how much porn there was on the internet. Gabe, you talked about watching porn starting at a young age but not really noticing until you were in your 20s that it was having an impact on your sex life. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, YouTube launched 2005, and then you had all these porn tube sites pop up everywhere. And uh, my friends and I immediately uh, were all over it and exchanging what the best sites were. And it wasn't too long after that, you know, just a couple years before I realized negative effects were showing up, I started watching tube sites around, I guess, the age of 20-ish. Don't quote me on that. (laughs) And then uh, by the time of 23 is when I completely couldn't function at all, um, and I couldn't even uh, masturbate without porn. And that's really what opened my eyes. I went to to search for answers, and uh, around the time of 2008 was when young guys started popping up on forums. So that's real short. That's only two years after the tube sites exploded. And then you had, within two years, you had forums popping up on, like, medical forums, bodybuilding forums, car forums, anywhere where guys congregate and talk about their lives, you started seeing threads pop up about, you know, porn-induced erectile dysfunction. 
And so that's the first thread I found was on a MedHelp forum, and it uh, eventually led me to a little test where um, you had to see if you were dependent on porn. And I hadn't, I hadn't masturbated without porn in like a decade. So I thought, okay, I'll try it. And that's when I realized I was dependent on it when I did that test. And it was shortly after the, uh, the tube sites exploded that that started popping up on the Internet. Belinda, you spoke about there is something that people believe to be a true dysfunction, which is erectile dysfunction caused by the overuse of, of pornography. But there's some controversy about that, about whether it exists or not. That's right. It's not a medically recognized condition. It's not in the DSM, which is you know where those things get listed. And there is, a, I would say, a lot of disagreement, bitter disagreement, among the academic community about whether that is even a thing. There's a lot of disagreement, as you know, about what constitutes addiction generally and whether there's such a thing as sex addiction. And this one is particularly bitterly fought over. And people have done tests um, and some peer-reviewed studies, and even the results of those are argued about. You know, there's quite a persuasive study out of the Max Planck Institute in Germany that shows that the sort of brains of people who watch a lot of porn are smaller, but it's not clear, you know, the reward centre is smaller, but it's not at all clear whether the reward centre is smaller and therefore they watch a lot of porn because they need more porn to get the same thrill, or whether the porn over years of use have sort of affected the brain in some way. So that is still an emerging emerging, um, issue, but certainly there's a lot of anecdotal evidence among the young men. Gabe, I imagine that you would characterize yourself as having ED as a result of overuse of porn, that to you it it did become an addiction? Yes, absolutely. And that's your understanding? I mean, there are thousands of people in the forum that you've set up that seem to have a similar reality. Right, yeah, and not just on my forum, on all the porn recovery forums, there's hundreds of thousands of guys with essentially the same story. They eventually become dependent on a certain stimulus for arousal, which would be internet porn. And uh, I say internet porn because magazines wouldn't do the trick anymore. They need novelty. They need shock. For instance, myself, if I watched, you know, some vanilla porn scene at the age of 23, I couldn't uh, get aroused either. I needed hardcore porn compilations where the scene changes every two seconds, shocking material after shocking material, just to maintain arousal. And that is, uh, you know, looking back in retrospect, it is clear as day to me that over the years, I eventually became dependent on it. And Belinda mentioned the Max Planck Institute, which is a great study. But there's also the Cambridge uh, study that reported a correlation that the majority of their subjects uh, reported having erectile difficulties with their partners, but not with porn. So that's in a peer-reviewed study. And there's also a case study that was published at the end of 2014 that had a a man remove porn use who had unexplained erectile dysfunction and low libido for his partner. They removed porn use and uh, attempted a reboot, so to say, and after eight months he recovered. So I think the most empirical evidence you can have is removing a single variable, tracking what happens, and these young men are recovering and that's exactly what I did. And that's, you know, that's the most telling evidence to me. And that's all I need to know is <laughs> it worked for me. I changed one thing in my life. I had no other pre-existing issues and I recovered. And that's what's happening all over the Internet with thousands and thousands of stories. 
So, Gabe, when you recognized that there was a problem, what were those? What were the kinds of conversations that you had to have with yourself and with your partners around what was happening when you would get into a real life sexual situation and wouldn't be able to perform? Explaining the uh, neuroscience and the sexual conditioning science to my girlfriend was probably what helped her the most because women will think, and partners, I should say, will think that, uh, you know, it, it might be them, they might not be attractive enough, or they can't compete with the porn stars. That's commonly repeated in media, but, you know, one of my passions is to say this has nothing to do with the partner and everything to do with the user's brain and how they wired themselves to be dependent on pixels. Belinda, in terms of the science around this idea that Gabe's talking about, about rebooting your brain by taking pornography away, what do we know about that? Is that actually... Well, we don't know a lot about it because the sort of experiment that you would need to do would be unethical. Um, you would have to say to young men, okay, you set of 12-year-olds, you know, you 412-year-olds, you watch a lot of porn, <laughs> and you 412-year-olds, you, you don't watch any at all. And also, you know, who, who porn is all self-reported. You know, it's right. very hard to check. Uh, on top of which, it's very hard for scientists and researchers to actually get money to look into this. Nobody really wants to be the kind of foundation that is sponsoring um, people to watch pornography. Yes, our, you know, your, our donor's money is going to get these men to watch right. porn. And the obvious way to do the study would be to do what these young men do, which is to give up, you know, to have a problem with, with watching a lot of pornography and erectile dysfunction, and then to give up and see if it returned and to, and to sort of observe that in the laboratory setting. But the problem with that is, again, people who want to give up porn already are motivated to give up porn. You know, to find those men would be quite difficult. So it is a, a, not a trivial scientific issue to work, <laughs> to work out for the researchers. I'm a digital editor. I work in front of a computer all day long. And when I see sites that are poorly designed and difficult to navigate, you know what I do? I leave, I close the window, and I never come back. I just don't have time. When I see a site, though, that's designed beautifully, is easy to navigate, and is colorful and clean, like the sites that I know are designed by people through Squarespace, then I stay then I hang out there, then I'm impressed with the person who made them. Squarespace has sites that look professionally designed regardless of your skill level, and there's no coding required. They're easy to use tools, and if you sign up for one year, you get a free domain. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code REALSIMPLE to get 10% off your first purchase. There are a number of fascinating and, to me, as the mother of a 12-year-old boy, utterly alarming, keep-me-awake-at-night statistics that came up in this article. One of them, which just kind of stopped me in my tracks, and I actually woke my husband up because I was reading this article in bed, was that Pornhub has 2.4 million visitors per hour. Wow. That's a lot. That's, yeah, that's by their own report, of Okay. <laughs> Well, so this is a big problem, um, and if you consider it a problem, but with that, the ubiquity as such, I wonder, is there any room in this conversation for 
the porn industry to regulate or to be in any way, I don't know if responsible is the right word, but to have a voice in this conversation about the saturation of pornography in our culture and what it's what it's doing to us. I think the porn industry, as it's known, would actually really like there to be an end to free porn because free porn is eating their lunch. They, of course, have been huge advocates of free speech. That's always been their mantra. So it's very hard position for them to negotiate to say, well, I think we should limit the access of free porn, you know, because it's a free speech issue. So they're in a sort of a tricky position. It, you know, as you know, Playboy no longer runs nudes because there's just no business in, in nudes anymore. A lot of, in England, where they're a little more advanced, I think, in their, well, understanding slash alarm, whichever side of the argument you fall about this, uh, they have tried, they're trying two approaches. One is to have an opt-in approach to porn. So all internet service providers over there have to get their users to opt in to seeing rather than opt out of seeing pornographic material. And they want pornography providers like Pornhub, which is one of the biggest, to verify somehow the age of their users. So that would require maybe a credit card. You know, if now I go to Pornhub or you go to Pornhub or our sons go to Pornhub, you know, it'll say this is a website for only for people who are older than 18. So please press here to say that you're right. older than 18, which is not what anybody would regard yeah, as a rigorous <laughs> test. Yeah. So, um, and even even then I was shocked by how easy, you know, it is to just type in, I don't know, leprechauns having porn and then, yeah. you know, sorry, leprechauns okay. having sex and then get exactly that. So, um, uh, you know, without Didn't you also warning, say there's like pterodactyl porn, yeah, like I, there's I, no kind that does not exist is I, one of your points. That's an internet rule called Rule 34, which is that if it exists and even if it doesn't, like leprechauns, there is pornography of it. Yeah, and I, I did not want to mention pterodactyl porn because that image is still burned in my brain. <laughs> I wish I'd ever seen it. <laughs> and now our listeners. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I think what there's also been some... Uh, the first state, not surprisingly, to try and impose some kind of legislation is Utah, yes. who want porn, who have just resolved to have on, you know, pornography declared a public health crisis. And I think that is the way that most people see sort of the best, the most sensible way forward, to deal with pornography in the same way we deal with tobacco or alcohol, where we say you can have it, but it's, you know, this is not necessarily good for you. So just be aware that this is not good for you. And let's see if we can keep it out of the hands of minors. So given the fact that sex education is lacking in this country, and given the fact that the porn industry and is, is everywhere, I'm curious for, from you, from your point of view, Gabe, I mean, that leaves parents as being one of the main ways that kids can get some kind of education into what pornography is and what it isn't and what it can do um, and what it depicts, what would you say to parents? I mean, what would you, do you think parents should tackle this with their young children? Well, I think uh, sex education for kids should stick to biological, anatomical, physiological facts and uh, my biggest thing is I think uh, we're lacking education on the most important organ for sex, which is the brain. 
And I think if you tell even a six, seven, eight-year-old kid how the brain works at a really basic level, how what you experience, what you see can neurologically wire your brain to something, and it doesn't have to be a, a conversation around porn. It can be around anything, uh, junk food, uh, video games, drugs, uh, any of that. Um, if you just explain to a child how the brain functions, how it can wire up to, his uh, to its experiences, and then that can also uh, lead to cravings and maybe deter you away from your real-life pursuits and passions and ultimately kind of hijack what your drive is for. I think a kid can understand that. You always want to explain the why and not just tell a kid, this is bad or this could hurt you. You want to tell them why, and that's because you want them to have, you know, real relationships later in life. Uh, and you don't have to, again, you don't have to go into sexual relationships. You can just say you want them to have good interpersonal skills, good conversational skills, uh, maybe be good at public speaking for projects and stuff they'll need to do in the future. If you explain that to a little kid, I think that will at least make sense to them. You don't have to make it all complicated. And that's my goal. I appreciate that. And I think that's one way to start, but it doesn't seem mm -hmm. quite you know, there's one statistic in Belinda's article that the average boy views porn for the first time between the ages of 11 and 13. It seems mm -hmm. like parents need to jump in pretty damn early with the porn conversation if that statistic is accurate. Yeah. Um, I think talking generally about neuroscience is interesting, but I'm not sure that that is going to connect right. with kids. Um, Belinda, I'm wondering... What you think? I mean, what is a parent's role? How do you, you know, there's always that fine line between bringing up something that they may not be ready for versus not getting to them soon enough. I think, yeah, that's, it's an incredibly difficult conversation and incredibly difficult to time. I think it's safer to assume that if your kids haven't seen porn, they have friends who have. And maybe do the old my friend has a son who was watching dirty videos or it doesn't have to be dirty I don't mean to prejudge my friend was watch who has a son who was watching videos of people having sex or making love or whatever your term is or naked people even on the on the internet and she's worried that it's going to damage his brain and what would you say to him would be one way of even sounding out how much your child son or daughter knows of this. I think one of the things that is really worrying is those two new books, one by Nancy Jo Sales and the one by Peggy Orenstein of, on the effect of girls, is that girls are coming away with the impression that, you know, their job in bed is to provide pleasure for men because that's what they see and that pleasure can take whatever the men want is what should be happening because that's the form that most pornography takes. And I just, you know, it's an excruciating thing to imagine, okay, we have to have a conversation about sexual pleasure with our children. But at some point, you know, I think we need to say this is not just a reproductive cycle. It's a pleasure cycle as well. Gabe, speaking to one of Belinda's points that you just made, I'm curious to know if when you were simultaneously watching a ton of porn and having physical relationships with real partners, were you expecting your partners to act and be and look like the women that you saw in online porn? Um, to a certain extent, 
Yes and no. I was well aware of what was acted and faked and um and the porn that I was watching, but at the same time, um it subconsciously changed my desire and what I wanted in the bedroom. So what would happen is uh my friends and I would manipulate and coerce uh at some level for sure our girlfriends into doing things that we've seen in porn. And I'll be the first to admit that the, that I did that at, on several occasions. That there is a level of coercion for sure as you know teenage boys on what we would try and get our girlfriends to do, and then we would brag about which uh, you know how far we could get a girlfriend to go in you know middle school and high school. So we were 13, 14, 15 years old. Um, you know, looking back now, obviously I regret that, and I can see how twisted it was. But that's just the truth, and um, it definitely impacted me and led to how I communicated with my girlfriends and what I tried to get them to do. So as far as what they look like, uh, I wouldn't say that was the most important thing to me. Uh, I I always considered my partners that I had um, very beautiful, so that didn't really play out for me as it does for a lot of a lot of guys. Did there, was there a sense that you had at that time? I mean, you used the word coercion several times in that last mm-hmm. bit. Um, was there a sense, did you have a sense at that age that there was something not quite right about that? Maybe a little bit, but it was so culturally normal and accepted and the guy thing to do, unfortunately, that it didn't, you know, get to me too much. But I did I did have a sense at some times that man, maybe I maybe I shouldn't have done that or or what have you, but um it wasn't as strong of a feeling as it should have been, regretfully. To be fair, I think young men have been asking young women to do things that, you know, to go a little further since the beginning of time. So, um, and, you know, I don't know um, how coercive that is, but I don't think there's a, you know, there's, is there, it's just a, a fact of life that young men right. always want to do more than, oh, than uh, I don't know. That, that but I, I, even before porn was on the, uh, you know, and, and, to be, this is the subject of, you know, so many plays and movies from, you know, Shakespeare's age of women being talked into. I'm thinking of the poem Robert Herrick, Gather ye rosebuds while ye may, which is a poem to virgins, you know, that, that you know, men have always tried to talk women into doing more than the but, woman really necessarily but he's felt not good acting, doing. He's, he is saying that he didn't just try to talk them into it. He did talk them into it. He did coerce i think there's a difference right well let me let me be let me just be clear there was always a question i never i never started to do something that a girl wasn't okay with i always asked for consent so to say mm-hmm. but that doesn't take away i guess i'm it can be about semantics what i mean by co- coercion sure. i'm just saying that i would ask a girl to do what i've seen in porn and to me that's coercion because um, she, I have no idea. I didn't ask her what she was into beforehand. I just asked her to do what I would want to do. And as a young girl, especially culturally, and she's heard from so-and-so and Sally Sue that, uh, you know, they were already doing it, you know, a year ago. And there's a lot of cultural pressure on a girl to do. I'm just talking like really common things like oral sex, maybe anal. And these are very common things now in teenage land that, I wouldn't put it on the guys because we were culturally conditioned to it, and I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't say it's intentional coercion. Uh, that's why I, I tried to say subconsciously because we weren't aware that what we were watching in porn was changing what we innately desired. 
for instance, uh, rough oral sex and anal sex are two things that I did not like before I started watching internet porn. That changed my arousal, and now that I don't watch porn, I'm not into that anymore. I kind of rebooted my brain, and I'm into lovemaking again, if you will, and soft, gentle sex, so yeah. <laughs> Gabe, um, with violins playing in the background and soft, <laughs> and soft lighting. Um, <laughs> um, Gabe, can you just, just um, before we end, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit about when you are contacting and, and speaking with men either, you know, in groups or um, virtually online who are trying to sort of dial back their consumption of porn and start over, so to speak. What are you, I mean, I would imagine it's an incredibly hard thing to do, like any, breaking any kind of addiction or, or strong habit is. What are you hearing about their, what are they reporting once they are able to take a step back? The positive effects of quitting and recovering are all over the table. Um, better relationships with their significant other, better mental clarity, more motivation and zest for life, uh, not just sexually, but just to pursue their dreams and passions at work and with their friends and family and other hobbies that they have, more motivation to go to the gym. Um, and I could go on and on and on, but I think physical energy and mental clarity are the two biggest ones that, um, you know, these benefits these guys are seeing. It's interesting, Belinda, because I, in talking to people who have quit alcohol, who have quit drugs, you hear the same thing. You hear mental clarity. You know, it, it does, I'm obviously not a scientist and neither are you, but it does, it's an interesting correlation there. One, Yeah, one of the... Um people I interviewed whose story I did not tell. He's, he's an Australian man and he created a, an app that you can put on your phone and um, it gives you like an inspirational thought of the day or an activity to do or something to try and connect your internet use to something that's not, you know, you don't open the internet and then think, oh, this is where the porn lives. You think, oh, this is some other fun thing I can do. He had no uh, um, sexual dysfunction. But what he noticed was that he thought for an experiment he would just try and give up pornography and he could not believe how hard it was he would wake up every morning feeling nauseous like withdrawal symptoms like withdrawal yeah. symptoms and then he that's what alarmed him not not his porn use and not any problems he was having in the boudoir but just how hard it was to stop and that may be you know who knows yet and you know i'm not a scientist as you said but that just getting your physical and mental energy back may be one of the reasons that the sort of you know your sexual um performance goes up belinda i'm going to ask you this question first and then give it over to gabe do you think there is such a thing as healthy porn consumption i think from my reporting it seemed that some people are able to watch porn just for fun and in the same way that some people can have two drinks and stop. And if that's what you're into and your porn is ethical in that it's not, you know, there's there's nobody who seems to be un unconsensual in it, then, you know, off you go. I would have grave concerns about very young people watching pornography. I think it's one of those things that when your brain is still very plastic and that is that you are laying down the kind of tracks for where the kind of the, your brain path will take you that I think that it would be 
the upside of watching porn against the potential downside. I don't know why a parent would think it was a good idea. So I think for young people, I can't see how it can be healthy. When you're fully grown and, you know, and you th- if you think you can manage it, then perhaps it's completely harmless. It's not my thing. I like movies with plots. I have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you think there's such a thing as healthy porn consumption? For adolescents, I'll say flat out no. Their brain is more moldable and malleable and they uh, they have innate, well, we all have innate circuits for sexuality. We don't have innate circuits for substances and drugs. So our, we have a natural drive to consume that. And um, when, you, when you're looking at the adolescent brain, they're wired to seek and search and find thrills. And um, even just a small amount of cons- uh, consumption of pornography can open up the floodgates, especially with the um, availability of it now and moving into the future, it probably will never not be easily accessible, in my opinion. So I don't think so for an adolescent. Now, if you're an adult, um, already formed healthy relationships with a real person, I would agree with Belinda and say, of course, you could get away with moderate consumption on occasion. But again, I wouldn't ever encourage it because pixels can never provide you what people can. And that's a sense of connection and intimacy and fulfillment. And uh, no amount of pixels can ever love you back. That's what I always like to tell the guys. So, Belinda Luscombe, thanks so much for being here today on The Labor of Love. Thanks for having me. And Gabe Dean, thank you so much. Thank you for covering it, and thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining me today on The Labor of Love. As always, if you'd like to be a guest on our show or if there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please email us at tlolpodcast at gmail.com. I'd like to thank our producer, Kristen Meinzer, and our editor, Tim Einenkel. If you enjoyed the episode, please review and subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe to The Labor of Love at itunes.com slash panoply or at panoply.fm. I'm Lori Leibovich, and I'll see you next time on The Labor of Love.